You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, this happens on occasion. It's not a nice occasion, but it happens on occasion that uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty bringing our call in. But we have a great guest today, Mr. Bob Pennington. And Bob has two stories to tell. And uh, the last is about his interesting as the first maybe more i don't know it depends on whether you've heard about what he's doing or not but um we're gonna we're gonna start out like we always do and uh, the first thing is that uh, since my friend is doing much much better the one that uh, was sprayed with Agent Orange. But we started a thing with him a couple of three months ago that uh, we just, because this is a veterans show, we take just a little bit of time out and uh, a moment of silence to thank all of our veterans. And if you're a veteran, you can take the time out as well. And and uh, you know what it means to have your brothers and sisters as a matter of fact uh, and just uh, say a little word for them as well and we will be right to Bob Pennington right after this thank you and we always start the show too with uh, one of these you'll love it no sense in going home. Ain't no sense in going home. Jody's got your girl and gone. Jody's got your girl and gone. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Jody's got your sister too. Jody's got your sister too. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay, we know about those Jodies, and uh, all of us have experienced the Jody that's uh, gotten us that last couple of feet in that forced march or whatever it happened to be. And uh, even with a smile on our face as our calves were tightening up and we had just another mile to go. So with that being said, welcome to America's Web Radio, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing? I uh, I'm not sure which Jody that was. Um, uh, on this end, I couldn't really hear. <laughs> it might have been probably better that I didn't hear it. To tell you the truth. <laughs> oh no! But you uh, didn't you love Jody's back when you were in? Bob. Yes. Uh, didn't you love Jody's when you were in? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a good tune. Uh, kept us in cadence. Um, I mean, there was several uh, uh, tunes that I actually liked. That uh, that there's a few now that I taught my kids as they were growing up, and I'll say it around the house every once once in a while. And that's uh, Captain Jack's 
show. <laughs> well, maybe I should have should have had you sing the Jody, huh? No, no, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I, I tell you, as, as this show has developed and progressed over many, many years, uh, you know, and we started doing the Jodies and stuff, but it's amazing how many people remember one that uh, particularly stood out when they were in, ba- more in basic than uh, basic in AIT than in uh, after they uh, had graduated from one or there from basic and AIT. But anyway, you are a retired chief warrant officer, correct? Four. That is correct. That is correct. And, uh, you know, I want to get, I want to jump right into it. And I told you that, you know, I was not going to throw you many hardball questions anyway. But explain, you know, when I first got in, or actually, when uh, when I was uh, in basic and AIT, I didn't see any warrant officers. And then as I went through AIT, at the end of AIT, all of a sudden, well, what's that? And it, uh, as I recall, it uh, was either black, gold, and black, or... Gold, black, and gold. Well, I couldn't. I can't remember uh, what the insignia is for a warrant officer. But uh, uh, you know, we really. I wasn't exposed to warrant officers in my uh, guard unit, and uh, then really wasn't exposed to them in my uh, civil affairs unit, uh, AR unit here in Atlanta. So, why don't you explain what are you folks? Well, for us. Well, for all warrant officers, there are technical advisors, but uh, in special forces, it's a little different. The uh, we're actually homegrown. Uh, back in the Vietnam days, there was um, uh, there was, of course, the twelve man detachment, and the detachment commander was a captain, and the assistant detachment commander was a lieutenant. Well, as we progressed through the years, we realized that um, you know we couldn't pull from the army ranks uh the young lieutenants and they didn't they didn't they weren't groomed enough whereas the captains were so what we did is we took we took our uh ncos within the teams and sent them to become warrants and so they basically stayed in special forces and they just moved over as warrants and they became the assistant detachment commander and then they progressed through the ranks as a, a company operations warrant. Uh, they could be an executive officer. And for me, I did something that few warrants ever do, and, and I commanded a company hmm. at uh, the uh, Special Warfare Training Group in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So for us, it was a plus to homegrown our second-in-command. And uh, the what made it so good is you had a guy that had probably 10 years experience as an NCO on the uh, operational detachment alpha. Um, he came up maybe as a weapon sergeant or a uh, as a uh, demolition sergeant, engineer sergeant, uh, as a, a medical sergeant or as a, a, a communication sergeant. And then he, he put in his paperwork to to progress in rank 
as a warrant officer. You know, I, and, I just uh, thought about we've the... had uh, we've had several good ones over the years, um, and it's I think it was the right path for me. Um, I absolutely love doing it. I had more. I think I had more leverage when I became a warrant officer, um, and I was able to stay on the the, the detachments longer because once you uh, once you leave the detachment as an NCO, then you are placed in uh, operational uh, uh, positions and. Um, like B teams and C teams, we call them, where you're at the the headquarters element. And uh, as I reached the pinnacle at that point, then I dropped my paperwork and uh, become a warrant. And then when I came back, I was put right back on a team as an assistant detachment commander. And okay. so now I'm I'm back on the team, and I stayed on the teams for. Uh, almost six years uh, as an assistant detachment commander and also as a detachment commander. So uh, I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I deployed um, several times in those those positions. Uh, you know, it was um, it was it was something I would I would glad, gladly do again. It, uh, I was glad I did that. Bob the, uh, the Bob the first time I really came across a warrant officer was uh, a lot of them were copter pilots, right? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, most of them are aviation in the aviation field. Then we have some in the MI field, and uh, there's some in the uh, uh, I think there's some in the veterinarian field, and uh, in logistics, logistics has a big a big calling for uh, warrant officers, and artillery does as well. Interesting. Uh, I guess I guess this was a a need to be filled uh, in Vietnam that hadn't been filled or, or needed before or or overlooked before. Correct. That is correct. Yes, and um, you know I'm kind of I'm kind of glad we did that transition. To be honest with you. Um, I went through the warrant course in '99. I had been a Green Beret by at that time for for nine years, um, but I'd been in the Army around 13, 13 and a half years. So it was um, I had a lot of experience at that point. So going through the going through the warrant course and then going through the warrant officer basic course in Fort Bragg, um, my experience was really. That was real valuable for me. Hmm. Now, why would, uh, just curious, why the warrant as opposed to um, OCS? Uh, again, you're, you, you have a, uh, it's easier to send guys to the warrant course than it is to send to OCS. So, and you're, again, you're, you're homegrown. Now, we, and you'll get them back. Hmm. Okay. You'll get the warrant back as whereas if you apply for OCS, that guy is going to have to go back into the conventional force. Okay. So SF will not, special forces will not get that individual back if he does apply for OCS and, and get selected. Gotcha. Whereas the warrant, when he applies to the warrant course, he is definitely coming back to an ODA. Unless, unless, and this has happened, he drops his paperwork to become 
an aviation uh, pilot. Hmm. You know, you, you mentioned something that I always like to mention. Uh, I don't think <laughs> of any age that I've interviewed on this show or any of our veteran-type shows that in talking to a veteran, if the call came today, and I, they may be pushing a walker, but if the call came today that they wouldn't go back in in a heartbeat. And uh, I think this is is something that I, I can't address other militaries, but I can address the best in the world, and uh, that's the United States military that will give the ultimate for our country. And uh, I love every veteran that's uh, come in here and or been on the phone or whatever, and they all share the same thing. We're all brothers, and we, uh, yes, if our country needed us, if I had to go in a wheelchair, I'd go. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's just something that's in the blood, I guess, but it is amazing. Yeah, and, and uh, so over the years, I... I was in 30-plus years, um, and I've done about, uh, I think it was 14, 15 deployments. Um, wow. Five of those were classified. Two were operational, and the rest were combat. And, um, I, I, of course, I went into Desert Storm, and I was on a detachment then. Well, what was I your basic uh, MOS? The Special Forces Qualification Course back in 1990, and then deployed into... Uh, um, Saudi Arabia for Desert Shield, and then of course, then we launched into uh, Desert Storm. Uh, Bob, we was, were one of the teams with the um, the Saudis and the Kuwaitis, and we spearheaded an attack through the um, through the border and into the uh, the trenches. But um, and then of course, I did uh, the GWAT missions. I did uh, the initial in- invasion into Afghanistan. Uh, we were the first team on the ground. Uh, riding horses, and then, of course, I uh, deployed to Iraq several times uh, until 2010. So, yeah, when the call comes, you know, we're all ready. Uh, and, Bob, know, we, we Bob what was your... By, uh, Isaiah 6-8, send mm-hmm. me. Uh, Bob, what was your basic MOS? My basic MOS was uh, 11 Charlie, uh, Mortarman. Yeah. And, um, that was, uh, you know, I, I had been pretty good at math, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize how much math we used in that course, but it it actually helped me when I became a weapon sergeant in Special Forces, so, but that was my, that was my initial MOS, and then, of course, I had several MOSs before I became a warrant officer. Where did you, uh, where did you do your basic? I did my basic in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah. jump, jump school, and actually, Georgia. It's funny because um, I went through Harmony Church, with, which um, you know I had people tell me, "Hey, if you if you want to do good basic training, you want to go to Harmony Church because you know the the, the barracks are old. You uh, you're gonna you're gonna be way outside of the uh, the fort." Uh, Fort Benning, and uh, you know you'll 
you'll you'll train more than you will expect to train. And sure enough, I was I was glad that I I had gone to Fort Benning, Georgia, or uh, I'm sorry, Harmony Church. Uh, the other the other position there was uh, uh, Sand Hill, and I guess Sand Hill is still in operation today. So I'm I don't know. <laughs> Um, as many know, I, I did my basic in AIT at Fort Ord, California, which was beautiful. You know, was, I hate to say it was almost like a vacation, but it was almost like a vacation. Beautiful area. And, uh, you know, I, I bet you still know your uh, drill sergeant's names, because I do. I do, yeah. Polino. Yeah. Sergeant Polino, and uh, uh, he was an E6 and had uh, just gotten back from his third tour in Vietnam and um, they wouldn't let him go back and he was very upset about that he uh, he was a uh, not a big big fellow but he was a pretty tough hombre you know and uh, he enjoyed a part of Vietnam which you can't believe humanity can do some things that Vietnam proved otherwise, and uh, and I don't want to go into it, but uh, he couldn't pass the uh, the psychological physical to go back for a fourth tour, and um, you know they, they probably should have washed him out, but instead they made him a DI. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I was very lucky, and I've told this story, and I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, both in my, well, basically in basic, by the time I got to AIT, uh, and I I had gone into basic as uh, my lottery number was 12, so I had joined the uh, National Guard and uh, went, went to... Uh, my unit was a mechanized infantry, so I was going to go to an infantry school, and that's where I went in, in Fort Ord. And the, uh, you know, all of the drill instructors in my company had, were were vets of Vietnam. And uh, but, you know, the military has this saying, and I can't address anything but the army. But the military has this saying: you do it if you do it once, you're going to do it about. 15 times because you're too dumb to get it right the first time well well, my platoon and in fact most of the company were college graduates and uh, we'd do it once and then we'd do it a second time and get it right and the drill sergeant sat there scratching their heads what are we going to do with the rest of the time you know because they had it in their mind that well if we do it once we got to do it two, three, four, five times to get these dummies to uh, get it right. But it, it was amazing the, the uh, you know, we got it right the first time or the second time, you know. And uh, they didn't know what to do with the rest of the time. But we kept practicing until uh, till the cows came in. Yeah, later, later I would figure out that, uh, you know, some of that was tra- uh, training for time, and what it should have been is training for standard. And uh, of course, when you're a you're a recruit, you you know you don't you don't know the differences 
at that point. But as you progress through your career, then you realize that there's, uh, wait a minute, you know, we, there were certain times we were, we were all just like you say, confident in whatever task they had given us, but we kept training on to get better. At least that's what they told us. Yeah. But I had, uh, I was at Benning for a while because I had completed basic and AIT there as 11 Charlie and then went to airborne school and then went to uh, the Ranger Indoctrination Program, RIP, to go into the, uh, the first of the 75th down at uh, Hunter Armour Airfield in Georgia. So I was, I was in Georgia or Fort Benning for a while yeah. before I uh, was able to leave. You know, the, during... the biggest thing is, like everyone says, just like if you're going through the Special Forces Qualification courses, don't get hurt. Yeah, because you don't want to be recycled. <laughs> no, no. Or in at uh, Fort Ord, it was uh, don't get uh, poison ivy or poison oak because you will be recycled. But you know, uh, I I I don't know if you do or not. But even at my tender age, which I'm older than dirt, um, every now and then I'll I'll have, for lack of better words, a flashback or something like this. But when you're going through basic and AIT, you, why in the world are we doing this? This is this is right below stupid, you know. Why in the why are we? And yet now, every now and then I'll come up with, oh, I know why we did that, you know. And uh, they were proving their point. And the military has been around for as long as the country's been around and before. And uh, they have developed such a talent of psychology that that they know how to how to make that boy into a man. And if you think you're already a man, well, they'll make you take one step further, you know. And... Uh, it's yeah, well, the military is an interesting thing, you know. Yeah, when I went through selection um, to become a Green Beret, that was back in uh, August '89, and um, uh, of course I I completed it and was selected to be uh, to be a Green Beret. Of course, you, you then you have to go through the qualification course, and uh, the, the course itself is very arduous and uh, long and um, as I was going through the course you know you you hit all these gates and again I I went through as a weapon sergeant later on my MOS would change to become an assistant um, operations sergeant and intelligence sergeant and uh, but anyways as you as you go through the course you go through small unit tactics and then you go through your MOS whatever your MOS is and uh, then you culminate with uh, Robin Sage well Robin Sage is uh, uh, where we uh, bring all the guys from all the MOS's together and they conduct an an exercise in unconventional warfare like they did in, in Vietnam and what we would do in uh, in those initial landings in Afghanistan after 9-11. So as we were going through this trading, you know, they were throwing all these dilemmas at us. And, uh, you know, I was sitting, sitting back and as a young sergeant, you know, and I'm going, man, well, this is silly. This would <laughs> never happen. 
and uh, who knew years later did then Afghanistan <laughs> and then jumping out and then meeting meeting up with my my Afghan counterpart on horseback that all those dilemmas would come true <laughs> <laughs> well you know, one thing I want to point out here right quick, take a, a very, very short break, but uh, we do this show for the honor and glory of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, which I believe you're up for induction and um, for valor, as a matter of fact. And uh, I'm sorry that it had to be postponed uh this year because of the COVID, but I assume uh, as soon as they set a date in 2021, you will be inducted, and uh, I look forward to, hopefully I'll be there and, and uh, get to applaud for uh, Bob Pennington. But uh, I want to mention that the Hall of Fame is in the Floyd Building, right across the street from the capital of Georgia, and it is well worth going to if you're visiting or if you're a resident of Atlanta and never been to the Hall of Fame. It's, uh, it is a great, great place to go and, and take a day and read about our Georgia heroes like Mr. Pennington. And uh, we'll get into some of that in a few minutes. But it's it's just something that uh, we like to promote. And also the J.C. Healing Wall in Johns Creek. It's the replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C. And it now has a permanent home in Newtown Park in Johns Creek, Georgia. So um, the... Military Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. The director is a gentleman, Colonel Retired Rick White. And uh, I challenge anybody on on this face to uh, find a nicer guy than Rick White and a more astute and cooperative person you can find. And he does one heck of a job with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. So please go to it, and uh, whoever you see there, see you heard about it on America's Web Radio. And we all also <clears throat> want to salute retired Colonel Pete Mecca, who does our A Veteran Story every Wednesday. And Pete does just one heck of a job. So if you're a veteran or you know a veteran and you want to really be entertained and sort of brought back to reality listen to our veteran shows they are great Pete Mecca does a heck of a job uh, I had a hard time listening to his veteran day show the 11th of November as it was hard for this old man to hold back the, the water in his eyes you know it was a great great show about a great great World War II pilot and Pete did just a heck of a job. So please pass it on that we are doing everything we can to support veterans and to tell their story here on America's Web Radio. So with that being said, let's get back to Chief Warren Officer 4 and um, his story about what he did in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, we'll go from there. Hey, David, I also have to tell you that uh, I've been talking to uh, Mr. White, and uh, great guy, absolutely a fantastic guy. It's uh, been a pleasure to get to know him, and uh, 
it is an honor for me to be inducted um, in uh, 2020, or I guess now 2021. Uh, I look forward to it. So, it, so does my family, and especially my wife and kids. So, I, I think um, I don't know if I'm deserving of it, but um, well, I sure am honored. I, I can I can tell you, you you wouldn't be being inducted if you weren't deserving. Uh, you're you're going to be in a uh, group in class, all th- that everybody should be jealous of. Uh, they are so outstanding that uh, you know you'll you'll be in a group that there's only one like it, and it's in Georgia, and it's honoring folks like yourself that uh, raise their hand and. Uh, would have given the ultimate sacrifice and uh, I I salute you and salute all of our veterans that uh, and particularly the ones that have been inducted into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame um, it, well, it's thank you. I appreciate just that, great David. and you, you certainly are deserving of it and um, you know we also one of the things and I hope you'll back me up on this but we uh we realize I have a son that's in the Air Force, a major in the Air Force, and uh, he loves it. And he and his wife have gotten to tour the world, and uh, you know, but he's ready to do what he has to do. And uh, for for you, for me, and all the rest of the civilians in the United States, he he raised his hand just like you did, and I did, and and uh, many others have. But if you're graduating from high school, I doubt that you're listening to an old folks show like mine, but if uh, your grandparents or your parents happen to be listening or you're a college graduate and looking for what do I want to do next in life, please, please look at the military. Whatever your interest is, I can guarantee you that some branch of the military has exactly what you're looking for. And it's just amazing how far we've come and what a wonderful occupation. Not a job, but an occupation and a skill set that you'll love. It is a great, great opportunity for you. And all you have to do is look, and I bet you'll find your answer in the military. You agree with that, Bob? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh David, I tell you, the, the you know those Air Force pilots, especially in uh, well in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, when we had those A tens come in all the time for close air support. Um, but uh, tank busters, we call them. <laughs> but um, when we went into Afghanistan, uh, we did a lot of advising and um, movement around on horseback. But we did a lot of close air support and. Um, the team itself, uh, ODA 595, which I was the assistant attachment commander at the time, um, we we were decentralized. It was a 12-man team, but we were decentralized into four or three-man teams. And we called probably, I believe it was over 300 sorties. Wow. Which is incredible at, the, at, at that point. And... Uh, you know, we can't talk enough about the Air Force pilots coming in and hitting the targets we needed to hit, the, the Navy Navy pilots coming in and Marine Corps pilots. Uh, 
I don't. We would not have been successful without those guys coming in and and supporting us like they did. Um, so hats off to him. Well, he's. I, I've got. I've got to. I've got to admit, Bob. He's he's a major in the Air Force, but not a pilot. He's uh, Intel. So, uh, but he may have been the one that uh, scripted where his pilots would go. Right. That's right. He would be. Yep. But um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I can't, again, I can't address other militaries, nor would I even try. But I think what we get out of our military is uh, the cooperation and the brotherhood of, do you, you know, you were Army, so... Do you really care if you bump into a sailor or a Marine or a, you may kid the Marine about being a jughead or whatever, but you know good and well if yeah. push comes to panic, that Marine or that Navy person or whatever it happens to be, U.S. Coast Guard or whatever, has Bob's back if the situation yeah, we, calls for it. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't. I mean... Uh, for me, when we when I bump into them, uh, you know, I thank them for their service as well. Uh, but of course, I have to rid them. So you know, if uh, <laughs> yeah, if there's a Navy SEAL, I'm going to give him a hard time, and then he's going to give me a hard time back. But that's just the nature of the beast. But it's all and, our love uh, too, though. Isn't it, it? It's 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 camaraderie there, but it's a sense of uh, that, that we did the duty together, uh, right. no matter what. I mean, there's. Again, we fight as brothers, and so you know we live as brothers. And um, Amen. You will always have that. The, the part that you will miss when you retire, like for me, was the uh, it was the camaraderie. It was uh, you know I was ready to retire. It was my time, and uh, I had I promised myself I would do thirty years, and I did a little over. And uh, I knew it was time for me to retire to to pick up another venture. And uh, so at that point, after I retired, that is really what I missed the most, is that camaraderie aspect. And I'm sure other guys think the same way. And, you know, what's interesting, and again, this is my hats off to our military that has been honed and cured and worked on and improved. But that camaraderie starts... The first day, first night in basic, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you, you, and the, the camaraderie is instilled. The the discipline is instilled more. The uh, you know you that fellowship. Yes, is, sir. Uh, especially as you know, they had units that were cohort units. They would all stay together and they would go wherever. I, I wasn't in one of those because I my path was a different path. But um, wherever you go, you build on that. Um, you learn to to trust the, the people beside you, um, especially in combat. Mm -hmm. And um, in special forces, the the trust was uh, enormous. It was amazing. The, the brothers I had to my left and right, I could always count on them to do the to do the mission to the best of their ability, and that was, you know, that was something that I'll never forget. 
I, people always ask me about the things I've done, but I like to tell them the things that other guys have done that people have not heard of. And there's so many stories out there of guys doing incredible feats. Okay, wait a second. It, Let me stop you right there. I, I gave you an assignment, and I don't know if you remember what it was or not, but... Uh, you know, the one hardball question that's the <laughs> nastiest one that I ask is, when you're in a group of six veterans, can you name one veteran that can only tell one story? That's that's true, yeah. <laughs> because one tries to outdo the other, and so they're going to they're gonna continue to talk. <laughs> <laughs> It's the one-up. Well, yeah, I remember that, but can you That's say right. that? <laughs> That's right. And it, got it's, a one-up. It's, uh, it's just absolutely, I, I feel sorry for folks that haven't been around veterans. And if um, somebody's out there listening, whether they're a veteran or not, but please, if you've got a family member that was a veteran, and it doesn't matter when they were they served whether it was korea or world war ii that's even better world war ii korea vietnam whatever if you got a, a child go sit in that uncle's or or it could be your aunt it could be your grandfather whatever go sit in their lap and ask them to tell you a story about when they were in uniform and please remember them and pass them on to the next generation and the next generation because this it's the the stories of veterans are the best in the world and your family should never forget the member that is a veteran and uh, we encourage everybody to get those stories write them down when uncle bob was in or when aunt jane was in or whatever they did this and that and they remember it, and so anyway, so so you can't think of any vet that can tell just one story. Yeah, well, that's 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 pretty well. The the problem is, is first you got to pull it out of them, <laughs> and uh, that's number one. And it just depends on who it is. Now, some will just come out of nowhere and just start talking. And uh, yeah, yeah, we've had nope. many of those. <laughs> You know, the, 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 we've had many of those. You know, the the one thing that, again, I always, there's two things that I've left out. One is that the military is the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world, and you'll make better friends, lifelong friends, and you'll always recognize a veteran. The other thing is uh, that I always salute two two groups. One is the conscientious objectors. When I went in, I was pretty down on them, and yet they turned out to be some of the biggest heroes of Vietnam, and that's because they wore that. They wouldn't carry a gun, but they'd carry that bag that had the Red Cross on it, and they would go anywhere to help a, someone that's a fallen buddy of theirs, a fallen friend. And uh, those conscientious, conscientious objectors played such a vital role. The other group that I always recognize on this and every show is the dust-off pilots. I just, 
I can't say enough about them. They were absolutely incredible, and the nurses that that flew dust-offs with them, with the pilots and stuff, I just, my hat goes off to them, and my heart goes out to them, and I hope they're in good health and maintaining their their life, and um, they were just fantastic. We we utilized we used utilized one uh, sixtieth for our uh, for pushing our supplies at night over those mountains. And uh, I tell you what, if we didn't get that supplies, we would not have made it. They uh, and they were the guys who took us in in uh, you know Afghanistan and Iraq and several several places. So you know they they. They were always there. They did a fantastic job coming in at night, um, coming over the the mountains. Uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Fantastic. You know, in in my eyes, this is what. Uh, again, I'm all for the voluntary military. I think that because somebody volunteers you get the cream of the crop the best of the best in everything because they want to be there they're not forced they want to be there and you see people do things that a person shouldn't be able to do and they will sacrifice everything for the guy or the girl or woman sitting across from them behind them in front of them whatever the case might be and, uh, you know, I scratch my head many, well, not many times. I haven't got much hair left, so I can't do that. But anyway, you know, it's, I don't know, uh, the military and their psyche, how they work and get the best out of the, out of the best and how they instill that, you know, like you said, uh, no, no greater love than, than, uh, to lay down your life for a friend, and uh, it's just—it's amazing, and the military is amazing, and you're amazing, Mister Pennington. And oh, I gotta—I gotta mention. I appreciate it, though. Uh, let's let's just talk quickly about what are you doing today? It sounds so interesting. I'd like to come check it out and make sure you're doing a good job. Yeah, you might want to. That's for sure. <laughs> but. Uh yeah, uh, after retirement, and um, actually, and another reason I retired is I, I had uh, a couple of friends of mine come up to me, and uh, they said, hey, we, we want to go into the whiskey business. Uh, would you would you like to join us? And I said, of course. Are, are you kidding me? Am I, can I drink the whiskey? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's do this. But um, it started out uh, with... Um, uh, John Coco, he was a, a veteran of Desert Desert Storm, uh, a captain, and he was also in the Ranger Battalion, 1st 75th Ranger Battalion, uh, in the early days. And uh, and then Scotty Neal, who was in 5th Group with me, he was also uh, one of the founders. Uh, he had worked in 1st Battalion and worked on the, the Commander's Extremist Force, so he did a lot of night work going into buildings and in uh, in taking hold of some of those uh, Taliban leaders and Al Qaeda leaders, and then uh, of course John Coco's wife uh, Elizabeth Coco, 
Um, so we basically all got together, and myself and uh, Mark Newt, who was the detachment commander, joined up with them, and we created a bourbon called Horse Soldier Bourbon. And um, we started this over six and a half years ago, almost seven years ago, um, launched about two years ago, and uh, it's been doing real well. You know, when you get all these, that's the other piece of this, you get all these these military guys, especially, you know, Green Berets, um, we, we, we tend to try to grab as much information as we can. We do as much training as we can in whatever adventure or um, corporation we're dealing with to be to sharpen our skills, to hone our skills. And uh, we came up with a, a bourbon that is uh, from the praises magnificent <laughs> to okay. say the least okay okay and, uh bob i gotta ask you one more hardball question have you ever seen and and i've i've known my share of green berets and uh rangers and so forth and uh, a few seals thrown in just to keep the mix right you know but have you ever seen one of them that can just take one drink uh that's pretty difficult too the uh <laughs> Yeah. So, and and here's the thing: the uh, after the drinks start to go, then the stories start to come out. So, uh, there you go. Well, would you describe your bourbon as uh, sipping whiskey, or or uh, sipping bourbon, or or drinking bourbon? This is this is sipping bourbon, is what it is. It's a. Uh, the first one we came out with was a weeded bourbon, so you get the sweetness to it. Um, and the uh, we we do a we do a, a a small batch, which is down at about ninety five proof, and then we do a barrel strength. The dependent on when we draw it out of the barrel can run from either one hundred eight proof to one hundred fifteen proof. Um, that is truly sipping whiskey there. <laughs> and then we had we've come out with a uh, straight bourbon, which uh, are uh, which has a uh, a little bit of rye in it. So you get some of the corn, you get some of the rye. So it has a little peppery taste to it. It's a cinnamon taste, and it's mm. that's a great that's a great bourbon to mix drinks with or drink straight. So either way you want to enjoy it, that's that's fine with us. So, so I assume, like the check, the uh, uh, the whiskey's in the mail to me, right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm teasing you, brother. Well, um, we live off of uh, the three A's. You know, in, in the, it's one is our stuff is authentic. It's all American, and it's award winning. We we always say that our bourbon has won more awards than we have in combat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. So, where can folks get it at your local liquor store, or uh, through the throughout the country, or uh, just there, in the... there are some states that offer it, um, and uh, in stores, and then you can purchase it online. And um, is uh, you can go to our website. It's horsesoldierbourbon dot com. You pull that up, 
and uh, you can order the whiskey through there. Say that again uh, because I don't think everybody had a, a pen and paper ready for to take that down. So say it one more time. Sure. Horse Soldier Bourbon dot com. And I bet and, that's going to get mentioned a number of times uh, on America's Web Radio because we support any new business or business that uh, is done by vets. And uh, something unique about our bottles, and uh, Elizabeth Coco had uh, had everything to do with that. I mean, she, she did a fantastic job. But it was things that were subtle to us. The bottle itself has broad shoulders on it uh, that depicts you know the, the military guys uh, you know all all the all the things on their uh, their shoulders and, and what they and what they do to protect this this great country the uh, but each bottle the the mold for uh, to press these bottles to press the glass uh, which is by Anchor Glass, is uh, is brought in from the World Trade Center steel. So we've had the World Trade Center steel melted down uh, and the cast to make these bottle molds have that, wow. st- that steel in it. And then, of course, when the glass comes through, it is touched by that steel. So every bottle, in the end, has been touched by World Trade Center steel. Wow, what a story. What a story. That's incredible. I meant to ask, when you were talking about uh, being in Afghanistan, and uh, you kept talking about riding horses, and uh, had you been trained? Or I mean, I'm from Texas, and I've ridden since I was two years old. But I don't know a lot of folks that had that kind of... Had you been a, a horseman? Uh had you ridden? Yeah, I actually was trained in front of Walmart. Uh, you know that little <laughs> horse you throw a quarter in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was quarter horse trained. Oh, that's, that's, so uh, uh, I've ridden many a quarter <laughs> horse and, uh, you know, uh, I never raced myself, but used to go to the quarter horse races in, uh, Rio Dosa, New Mexico. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I rode on my uncle's ranch, uh, both of them, both ranches, uh, like I said, since I was two years old, he put me up on a pony when I was two, and and uh, my mother, I think, was about to faint because he was he was pulling the pony around, and I was playing cowboys and Indians both at the same time, and uh, yep. then then he gave me then he gave me the reins, and my mother just about went through the roof, uh, but I had you know I was. Two years old and in control of a pony. Yeah, we actually had two riders that were experienced. The the one that had the most experience was the detachment commander, Mark. And uh, he had actually received a scholarship for for college to uh, actually ride horses in competition. Where did did he go? uh, He went to... Kansas State. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah, we used to have the world's largest collegiate rodeo in well in the world uh, at Texas Tech, uh-huh. and uh, I never rode competition, but I 
I rode, uh, I worked the, the cattle and the horses that were brought in yeah. um, for the yeah, radios. So it, was, it was a plus to have him on the team. Oh, I bet. And uh, if you'd never seen the movie um, 12 Strong, well, that depicts, that depicts our... ODA in in combat in Afghanistan. Um, Michael Shannon plays my character, and uh, of course he he talked to me about riding horses, and and I told him I well I, I said I rode a, a horse or two here and there. I said, but I was a novice, and uh, and I told him that I had trouble with my back riding the horses, and so he they actually put a good scene in there about that, hmm. but. Uh, the 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 our entire uh, combat campaign was on horseback, and it was very difficult to ride uh, on those goat trails. They were about eighteen inches wide, and we were going up cliffs that were four or five thousand feet high. And um, you know, our 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 SOP standing operating procedure was to if the horse bucked. And, uh, you know, uh, we, our SOP was to shoot him in the head. And the reason for this is if we didn't, he would kill us because he would roll over on us and just start kicking us. So it was a, a difficult thing to think about, but in the end, it was the only thing that we could do to survive. The, um, the, 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 the horse riding, the hours were long hours on horseback and, uh, you know, I, I suffered uh, a few herniated discs from that. Uh, you know, some of the other guys had their problems as well. But in the end, horseback, the, the our maneuverability on horseback actually gave us the advantage because we were able to ride up on these 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 ridge lines and get up on the the high ground. And from the high ground, we could pinpoint. Uh, uh, target accuracy for the the airplanes uh, for uh, close air support. So, oh, so uh, you were ground it was a positive for us. It yeah. was a plus. So you were uh, virtually ground observation, right? Yeah, basically that's right. Um, so as we advised the commander um, General Dostum and his troops, because we that when we got in there, they they probably had about a thousand troops, and uh, and we held a couple of command meetings. Uh, we call them area command meetings. And we brought three factions together and built an army to about close to 4,000. And we had cavalry and we had infantry. And uh, we were able to maneuver, the maneuver through the battlefield that way, and especially on the high ground, and basically envelop the, the, the enemy and, and uh, then secure Mazar Sharif up in the north. So quickly, we're running. We're quickly running out of time. But did you all make the first calf jealous? I'm sure we did. I mean, uh, I I have spurs now, so that that's probably a plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, we've got to thank uh, Chief Warrant Officer Bob Pennington for coming on and being with us. I want to thank uh, our. Great, great friend, Rick White, Colonel Rick White, retired. And, um, Bob, I, there's one last hardball question I have to ask you, and I hope you're, I hope you're sitting down for this one. I am. Will you come back and be on with us again? 
sure. There's, uh, I think there's a couple more stories we could tell, and we could talk more about the whiskey. It sounds like a, well, I'd probably have to have a, well, no, it's too early even for me, but not, <laughs> I not know, for I you. I thought about it, I said, no, it's a little too early for me. But not for you, Rangers. Y'all were a lot tougher than us, just 11 Bs, 11 Bravos. So anyway, with that being said, we got to put the plug in the jug, you might say, and get out of here and uh, get ready for our next show. So again, Bob, thank you very much, and uh, we'll be in touch shortly. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, Take care. Be safe. Thank you, sir. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.